Very often when I preach, I have a system of slides that show up on the screen, and um, you'll find today that I do not. And it's not because I'm slack, all right? I could have done it. But I wanted to, this week, I wanted to have you interact with your Bible, your own Bible or the Pew Bible. I want you to have it open. I want you to see the words written. And I want you to, if it's your own Bible, I want you to see what part of the page it's on. And so as you, when you revisit it, you'll again be able to say, oh yeah, I remember being here. So I'd invite you to um, turn in your Bible, either the Pew Bible or your personal Bible, to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13. And we'll be working there from that chapter. The title of my message today is Kingdom Living, Cultivating the Soils. So, Kingdom Living, many of you who have heard me speak recently from the pulpit you may know that kingdom living has been a common theme of most of my most recent sermons. You might think that when I say kingdom living, that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you're supposed to be living a super Christian life. But kingdom living is just simply living every day with the purpose of being real. Being real before God. What I mean is being who God made you to be and each day being aware of his presence. Aware as you work, aware as you interact with other people, aware as you um, pray, aware as you make decisions, minute to minute being aware of God's presence in your life. Now, there's one common denominator that all people have who are followers of Jesus Christ and kingdom-living people. God's spirit is mysteriously united with your spirit. And that enables us to better understand truth. Especially truth found in Holy Scripture. And the truth that is so important to understand is that God loves us. And it's a special kind of love for each and every one of us. Kingdom living is not just something you decide to do and do for the day and then pick it up again next Sunday. Kingdom living is day to day, a lifelong process of getting to know and then to also rely on God's direction in your life. And you know, kingdom living isn't a one-size-fits-all. Kingdom living is a very personal thing. And it's the path of life which is unique to you alone. So that's kingdom living. And you know, much of what we know about kingdom living can be seen in the teachings of Jesus Christ, especially the teachings of the heaven, kingdom of heaven parables. Today we're going to look at a couple of these kingdom of living parables. And they're in Matthew 13. You know in Matthew there's an awful lot of parables, but we're going to focus on two in particular in in Matthew 13. We're going to be looking at the parable of the sower 
And we're going to be looking at the parable of the weeds. Often, you know, when you're reading scripture, I think this, you would agree with me to the, on this, but often when you're reading scripture and you're thinking about what's being taught, you get all of a sudden this new insight, something that you never saw before. You've read the passage over and over again, but now something as new has just come out and been aware, made aware to you. And, you know, recently this happened to me in this chapter, and that's why I'm speaking of it today, because I'm just simply letting you know what happened to me. And I'll tell you how it happened. If you look at the end of chapter 13, and you look at the last verse, 51, Jesus speaks to the disciples after explaining the parables of the kingdom of heaven. And he says to them a very provoking kind of question. He says, have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? Of course, Jesus was now then talking to the disciples. But I'm sitting here reading this. Have you understood all these things? I stopped it in my tracks and I said, have I read and understood all of these things? Do I understand all these things? Do I understand the lessons that Jesus is teaching in these parables? So, I thought, well, I'm not sure. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. I better go back and look at them again. And so I did, and I studied the parables of the sower and the parable of the weeds. And then I did realize something new. You see, I, oh, I even preached these two parables separately in the past. But rather than seeing these two parables as separate entities and separate things to preach about, I saw these two parables, the parable of the weeds and the parable of the sower, coming together as a whole, each complementing the other with sound teaching. And I believe that within these two parables, Jesus reveals a critical life lesson for kingdom living. Jesus teaches us to look for ways to what? Help people, not to judge people. That's where we're going. So we'll look at both of these parables. Now, if you, the first parable that I mentioned is the parable of the sower. And many of us are, are familiar with this parable of the sower. Jesus uses a farming illustration which most likely is perfect for the hearers of that day. Why? Because in the first century, most people were involved in farming or they were involved in food production and distribution. So farming was something they really understood. And so he paints this picture of a farmer casting out seed onto the ground. But in this case, everywhere. The seed is cast out everywhere. The seed was cast out on walking paths, in rocky areas, among weeds, and then, yeah, on some good soil as well. And this illustrates the message of the kingdom of heaven being spread throughout the whole world. That's what this illustration is. And the seeds of the kingdom message are being sown everywhere. There's no place untapped, touched. And you know, I was thinking of this, and I think you'll agree with me, anybody who has ever had young children in their house with them, and if you even used glitter once, <laughs> in that home, you'll never, ever stop finding glitter. 
Just the other day, I opened up a book preparing for the sermon, and I opened up a page, and it was just a random page, and glitter was there. That's how I got the illustration. But what, what the master is doing here is he's distributing the kingdom of heaven everywhere. But you know, the seed doesn't always take well, does it? Sometimes it falls on unfertile soil. Yet some of the seed does fall on good soil, and these seeds prosper, and they produce great yields. So later that day, the disciples say, Jesus, what's this all about? Tell us about the sower. What does that parable mean? And most of us are familiar with it, but I'm going to read it for you and and just look down at your Bible where it says, um, and we're looking at verse 18, all right? And... Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short while. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling amongst the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This parable, for many of us, reveals a life matter that is very personal. All of us have dear friends, people in our family, who have heard the gospel, but for many reasons, and there are many reasons, they haven't been moved to embrace faith. And they haven't even been moved to see that there's a need for faith. Sometimes the people we love and care for in other faith systems. Now in this parable, Jesus teaches that there's bad influences that get in the way of people embracing the gospel. For whatever reason, these people have not as yet had the seed of God's word take hold because the seed has been put on unfertile ground in their hearts. For some of you, maybe this is a story of your life. Maybe a story earlier. When somebody shared the gospel with you and it didn't, it didn't move you. There may be some people in the room, I don't know who this, this is your story still. Of course, there are many people who do hear the gospel and are right away all in. They never look back and they continue to grow as people of God. And this is, of course, the best outcome, isn't it? Of course it is. In these cases, the seed of God's word has landed on good soil and it's landed in a receptive heart and it grows. You know, I tend to think that many people do not embrace faith immediately when they first hear the gospel. At least, that's my story. I'll admit it. 
But I'm glad the seed finally did grow and be viable. It took time, though, and some circumstances. But eventually, the Holy Spirit changed my heart. The seed of God's word never lost its viability. It was right there, ready to sprout. It just needed the right conditions for growth. And I imagine some of you have a similar story to mine. That's the parable of the sower. Now let's look at the parable of the weeds. In this parable, Jesus continues an agricultural theme, but he discusses the problem of weeds. Here again, good and viable seed is broadcast, but in this parable, the, both, the, the, the seed is sowed onto good ground where the seed will take hold and grow. But then weeds start to grow amongst them. And these seeds, Jesus said, are sown by who? Jesus says they are sown by the enemy. And the weeds, the Greek word that's used there to explain weeds or to to say the word weeds, it's a troublesome plant. It's troublesome because it kind of looks like the weed, but it's also kind of poisonous. And you know, it's not, un, it's not unusual in, in, in growing conditions, especially in the farming communities or wherever you're growing anything, for things to sprout up and look alike when they first come out of the seed. I've been uh, taking care of and growing grass, good grass, in Florida for 40 years. And I will tell you that in the January, February time, right, crabgrass sprouts come out of the ground, and there's also little sprouts of St. Augustine grass. And unless you really have been dealing with this for a long time, you look down and you say, look at all the new good grass. But there's a lot of bad grass in there. And if you try to pull out the crabgrass sprouts, guess what happens? You pull up the good grass, too, and you make a mess. And this is the situation that the master is trying to avoid. Pulling the good out with the bad. So what does he say? No. You're you're going to pull up the good with the bad. Don't do it. Let it alone. And, And in scripture, when you look at the words here, it is an imperative. It is a command. He says emphatically, the separation is not to happen. Until the end times, at the end of the age, at the end of the harvest. And then later on, Jesus explains this parable to his disciples. And let me read you what Jesus says. He says, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The weeds are the people of the evil one. Key. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are who? The harvesters are angels. 
As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. He'll send out his angels, and they will weed out the kingdom of everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Goes on to say that they will throw him into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Bear in mind that Jesus here says that the weeds are the sons of Satan. The weeds are depicted or depicting people whose character is evil. They either do evil works themselves or they attempt to cause as many people as they can to sin. Makes me think of the first chapter of Proverbs where Solomon writes, stay away from these people. They're going to draw you into things that you don't want to be in. This is what these are. These are the characters. This is the character of the seeds, the weed seeds, the evil ones. And Jesus says in this parable, as he's, as he's explaining, he says, at the end of the age, these evil ones will be gathered up and tossed into hell. Now, you know what? That's a hard thing for people to hear sometimes, that somebody's going to go to hell, that people are going to go to hell. That's a hard thing for people to exist. Why? Because God is a God of love and They don't want people to go to hell. That's a common reaction of everybody. But the point is, is that evil does exist in this world. I think everybody understands that. Evil exists in this world. And there's no place for evil in the kingdom of heaven. And there's going to be judgment. But guess what? God judges. Not me. We'll carry this forward a little bit. You see, another disturbing thing to see in these parables is that people cannot know, people especially of faith, people of faith cannot know or determine decisively who the evil ones are. We cannot do it. Recall earlier I made these statements. Often when you're reading scripture and thinking about what is being taught, something new comes to you, something you never saw before. And what happened to me was I I went back and I looked at verse 27 and through 29 where it says, the owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where, where Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No. No. Yet believers believe that we can and do it decisively and right. The believers say, but master, we know know who the bad ones are. Don't you want us to go get them out for you? No. Now, do you see a problem with this request? 
Can you see why the Son of Man answers no? The problem, again, is they cannot decisively know precisely the bad ones, and they're going to, in the process, mistakenly alter or damage or destroy the good ones. Now, we want to remind you of the scripture the Tarot read, read earlier from Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. It was at the fall of man, and Eve was being tempted by the serpent to take from the tree. And she says, you know, we're not supposed to eat from the fruit of the tree. We're not even supposed to touch it. And what does Satan say? To, what does Satan say to the woman? Satan says to the woman, "You will certainly not die." Because Eve said that she was going to die if it happened. He says, "You're certainly not going to die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will what? You will be like God, knowing good and evil." You'll be like God, knowing good and evil, the difference between the two. The sin that led to the fall of man and the corruption of creation wasn't eating the fruit. The sin was man desiring to be like God and wanting to decisively know good from evil. That's our sin, wanting to be like God. Pride, greed. People who know me well, okay, my family, my dear friends, people who know me well know this thing about me, all right? You know what it is? I believe that I know the answer to most problems that come across my world. And honestly, you know what? I do. But whenever I try to extend my answers to these problems, the people in my family and my dear friends, they raise their eyebrows and they say, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, here he goes again. Yeah. But you know, even if I do know the answers to most problems in this world, there's one thing I won't claim to know. I don't know enough, nor will I ever know enough, to decisively say someone is going to hell. I just won't. And neither can anyone else. It's not our place. It's not our responsibility to do that. We are not God, perfectly knowing good and evil. You know, when this came to, this came to uh, my attention once, when someone who... Had, it was close to me and had been spoken to by an evangelist and somebody who probably made a very excellent presentation of the evangelism explosion outline or whatever, I don't know. But um, one day, all of a sudden, she spoke to the person who had shared the gospel with her and said, oh, by the way, do you still believe I'm going to hell? This was a year or two later. No growth. A year or two later, you think I'm still going to hell? You see, we cannot know if anyone is condemned. We have to display God's love and then draw people to it. 
No, don't get me wrong. Sharing the gospel with people is ultimately important for our salvation, to understand that the gospel of who Jesus Christ was and why he came into this earth. And he's God. And he died on the cross and all of, that mean, all of what that means to us. And then the free grace and the free faith that allowed us to embrace this grace. This is all good stuff, but whenever you present the gospel with the condemnation of you're going to hell if you don't hear me, You know what people do? They hear one thing. I'm going to hell. Bye. Not all people. Some people just say, gosh, I don't want to be there, and they embrace the gospel, don't they? It happens. But some people just say bye. Because perception is everything. And if somebody perceives that you're being condemning, you've lost them. And so that's why the master says to the servants, no, that's not your job. Your job is to what? Cultivate the soils. Here are some of our responsibilities other than judging. Jesus says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And to what? Love others as we love ourselves. And Jesus also gave us the Great Commission where he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are to share the gospel so that people can be baptized into the faith. But then what does he say after that? And teaching them everything I have commanded. Which immediately draws you right back into the gospel and say, Okay, what did Jesus teach us to do? He taught us to love others. Read the Beatitudes. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read all of the kingdom of heaven parables and look for the teachings of Christ. And in this, these two parables, he says, no, don't go after and destroy the, the bad ones. The angels will carry that out for me. In the meantime, let's build soil. What's the takeaway for us from all of this today? Well, God's people will not carry out God's judgment at the end of the age. The angels will do that. And rather than judging people, we need to instead, in, instead focus on cultivating the soils of their heart. There's a great preacher in the 19th century, uh, Matthew Henry. Many of you may know of Matthew Henry. Very often after I do a study and I'm preparing for a sermon and I've done all my word exegesis and everything else, usually uh, there's a lot of commentaries available, but I pull out old Matthew Henry and I read, what, he, what did he say about this? And I did this when I was preparing this, this sermon message today. And Matthew wrote something that I think is really cool. He says, man's heart is like soil, capable of improvement, of bearing good fruit, And it's a pity to allow the heart to lie fallow. Jesus does not say that this good ground has no stones in it, nor no thorns, but the soil can be cultivated to be nevertheless fruitful. Who does the cultivation? God's people does the cultivation. We have the kingdom responsibility to display God's light and to live in ways 
that shows that life, that light in our lives. And this is very important for uh, believers to understand. You see, there's little hope for us. This is what's very hard for you to, us to understand. There's very little hope for us displaying God's life if we are viewed as being judgmental and condemning. So we need to walk that line very, very carefully. Very, very carefully. Because people will move away from us. They, they don't sense God's love. They hear only judgment. And of course, it isn't what you meant, but it's their perception. And perception is what counts in this kind of a situation. So our work is to find ways to cultivate the hearts of people so that the good seed can grow. And we have to remember that it's God alone. Once the seed lands in the heart, it's God alone who makes the seed grow. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. For we are co-workers in God's service. God makes it grow. Our purpose is to come alongside people and then let them see the joy of faith so that they will be drawn to God. And you know, when we... Let people see the joy of faith in our day-to-day, moment-to-moment interactions with them, however it is we, we live our day out. That's attractive to people. And as you become friends, or whenever that opportunity, and it's a, it's a, they call it a Holy Spirit moment, but when that opportunity is available for you to share the gospel, boom, you do. Because they want to hear it. You understand? Now, I was... Preparing to write this sermon a few weeks ago, starting to do my study, and I'm in the backyard and um, hanging out with my family, having a um, late afternoon, early evening glass of wine, and my granddaughter walks up to me, my 11-year-old granddaughter, and she says, Granddaddy, I wrote a poem today. Do you want to hear it? course I want to hear it. I have it in your bulletin. Open it up and look in the bulletin. It's funny how God does things. How God just meshes things together for you. And it's like, wow, that's so cool. Well, listen, this dear young lady read this to me. She says, some people, it's called Choose, by the way, by Nora McCall. Some people... Only very bad people, of course, have grown off of evil down to their core. But others have simply lost their way when wondering whether to go or to stay. Those people, of course, can find the right track if somebody shows them how to get back. And when they get back, we all will rejoice and hope they continue to choose the right choice. That blew my mind, honestly, <laughs> that, that she read this poem that she had written that day. And um, it was just beautiful. When Jesus teaches us about kingdom living, 
and he does it through his parables, and these two parables in particular, he's saying it's about helping people, displaying the light, and attracting them to want to seek God. And then when, they, when we can, when it's right, sharing the good news of the gospel with them. And then when we do that, the Holy Spirit takes over from there. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's just, it's such a privilege to be your people and to be your children and to be able to spend time in the Word as a group and also to spend time in your Word individually and by ourselves in our, in our, in our bedrooms or our closet. It's so cool that as we read your Word, even if we've read something over and over again, all of a sudden, new truths come out. And I appreciate that truth coming through to me and the privilege of being able to share it with my friends. Lord, I just ask that each of us can wake up every day and choose that day to be kingdom people asking you to come into our heart and allow us in every way that we interact with people, as we do things, as we work, as we make decisions, help us to be aware of your presence and to call in your, your spirit to guide us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.